too. Why is free of hindrance before cutting the tree? Also clear the way for the swing of your extended hatchet. If there are obstacles, such as vines, bushes, limbs of other trees, or rocks, which your hatchet might strike as you raise and lower it while at work, clear them all away, making a generous open space on all sides, overhead, on the right and left side, and below the swing of the hatchet, take no chance of having an accident, as would occur should the hatchet become entangled or broken, you may have noticed that the top surface of most stumps has a splintered ridge across its center, and on one side of the ridge the wood is lower than on the other, this is because of the manner in which a woodsman fells a tree, if he wants the tree to fall toward the west he marks the west side of the trunk, then he marks the top and bottom of the space he intends chopping out for the first curve or notch figure 13, and, making the length of space a trifle longer than one half of the tree diameter, the curve is chopped out by cutting first from the top, then from the bottom figure 14, when the first curve is finished and cut halfway through the tree, space for the curve on the opposite side of the tree is marked a few inches higher than the first one figure 15, and and then it also is cut figure 16, after you have chopped the two curves in a tree, you will know when it is about to fall by the creaking and the slight movement of its top, step to one side of the falling tree, never behind or in front of it, either of the last two ways would probably mean death, if in front, the tree would fall on you, and if at the back, you would probably be terribly injured if not killed, as trees often kick backward with tremendous force as they go down, so be on your guard, keep cool, and deliberately step to the side of the tree and watch it fall, choose a quiet day, when there is no wind, for tree felling, you cannot control the wind, and it may control your tree, never allow your hatchet to lie on the ground, a menace to everyone at camp, but have a particular log or stump and always strike the blade in this wood, leave your hatchet there, where it will not be injured, can do no harm, and you will always know where to find it. Figure 17. Etiquette of the wild translated this means, hands off. The unwritten law of the woods is that personal property cached in trees, under brush, beneath stones, or hidden underground must never be taken, borrowed, used, or molested. Canoes and oars will often be discovered left by owners, sometimes fastened at the water's edge, again suspended from trees, and the temptation to borrow may be strong but remember such an act would be dishonorable and against the rules that govern the outdoor world. Provisions, tools, or other articles found in the forests should be respected and allowed to remain where they are. It is customary for campers to cache their belongings with the assurance that forest etiquette will be held inviolate and their goods remain unmolested. Everyone has the privilege of examining and enjoying the beauties of mosses, berries, and wildflowers but do not take these treasures from their homes to die and be thrown aside. Love them well enough to let them stay where they are for others also to enjoy. Unless you need specimens for some important special study, a man who had always lived in the Adirondack forests, and at present is proprietor of an Adirondack hotel, recently reforested many acres of his wooded wild lands by planting through the forests little young trees, some not over one foot high and his indignation was great when he discovered that many of his guests went off on tramps returned laden with these baby trees, which were easily pulled up by the roots because so lately planted. Finding your way by natural signs and the compass an important phase of woodcraft is the ability to find your way in the wilderness by means of natural signs as well as the compass. If, however, you do not know at what point of the compass from you the camp lies, the signs can be of no avail. Having this knowledge, the signs will be invaluable. 
Get your bearings before leaving camp. Do not depend upon any member of the party, but know for yourself. If you had a map giving the topography of land surrounding the camping grounds, consult it. Burn into your memory the direction from camp of outlying landmarks, those near and those as far off as you can see in all directions. The morning you leave camp, ascertain the direction of the wind and notice particularly the sun and shadows. If it is early morning, face the sun and you will be looking toward the east. Stretch out both arms at your sides and point with your index fingers. Your right finger will point to the south, your left to the north, and your back will be toward the west. What landmarks do you see east of the camp? South, north, west, and from what point of the compass does the wind blow? If it comes from the west and you trail eastward, the wind will strike your back going away from camp and should strike your face returning, provided its direction does not change. Again, if you go east, your camp will lie west of you, and your homeward path must be westward. Consult your compass and know exactly which direction you take when leaving camp and blaze your trail as you go, looking backward frequently to see how landmarks should appear as you face them returning, with all these friends to guide you, first, the map, second, sun, third, shadows, fourth, wind, fifth, compass, sixth, you're bent with blazing, there will be little, if any, danger of being lost, but you must constantly keep on the alert and refer frequently to these guides, especially when deflecting from the course first taken after leaving camp, at every turning, stop and take your bearings anew, you cannot be too careful, these signs are for daylight, at night the north star will be your guide, sunlight and shadow bearing in mind that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, it will be comparatively easy to keep your right course by consulting the sun, a fair idea may also be gained of the time of day by the length of shadows, If you remember that shadows are long in the morning and continue to grow shorter until midday, when they again begin to lengthen, growing longer and longer until night, to find the direction of the sun on a cloudy day, hold a flat splinter or your knife blade vertically, so that it is absolutely straight up and down, place the point of the blade on your thumbnail, watch case, or other glossy surface, then turn the knife or splinter around until the full shadow of the flat of blade or splinter falls on the bright surface, telling the location of the sun, an open spot where the sun can cast a clear shadow, and an hour when the sun is not immediately overhead, will give best results, when the wind generally blows in the same direction all day, and if you learn to understand its ways, the wind will help you keep the right trail, make a practice of testing the direction of the wind every morning, notice the leaves on bush and tree, in what direction they move, place a few bits of paper on your open hand and watch in which way the wind carries them, if there is no paper, try the test with dry leaves, grass, or anything light and easily carried by the breeze, smoke will also show the direction of the wind, when the wind is very faint, put your finger in your mouth, wet it on all sides, and hold it up, the side on which the wind blows will feel cool and tell from what quarter the wind comes, if on the east side of your finger, the wind blows from the east, and so on, keep testing the direction of the wind as you trail, and if at any time it cools a different side of the finger, you will know that you are not walking in the same direction as when you left camp and must turn until the wet finger tells you which way to go, the wind is a good guide so long as it keeps blowing in the same direction as when you left camp, use of compass should you be on the trail and sudden storm clouds appear, the sun cannot help you find your way, the shadows have gone, Moss on tree trunks is not an infallible guide and you must turn to the compass to show the way. 
but unless you understand its language you will not know what it is telling you. Learn the language before going to camp, it is not difficult. Hold the compass out in a level position directly in front of you, be sure it is level, then decide to go north. Consult the compass and ascertain in which direction the north lies. The compass needle points directly north with the north end of the needle, the end is usually black, sometimes pearl. Let your eye follow straight along the line plonked out by the needle, as you look ahead select a landmark tree, rock, pond, or whatever may lie in that direction. Choose an object quite a distance off on the imaginary line, go directly toward it, and when intervening objects obscure the landmark, refer to your compass. If you have turned from the pathway north, face around and readjust your steps in the right direction. Do not let over two minutes pass without making sure by the compass that you are going on the right path. Going directly north. Practice using the compass for a guide until you understand it, have faith in it and you may fearlessly trust to its guidance. Try going according to various points of the compass, suppose you wish to go southeast. The compass tells you this as plainly as the north, try it. Naturally, if you go to the southeast away from camp, returning will be in exactly the opposite direction and coming back to camp you must walk northwest, after learning to go in a straight line, guided entirely by the compass, try a zigzag path, a group of girls will find it good sport to practice trailing with the compass, and they will at the same time learn how to avoid being lost and how to help others find their way, it is possible to make a compass of your watch besides keeping you company with its friendly nearness, its ticking and its ready answers to your questions regarding the time. A watch in the woods and fields has another use, for it can be used as a compass. It will show just where the south island then by turning your back on the south you face the north, and on your right is the east and on your left the west. These are the rules, with your watch in a horizontal position point the hour hand to the Sunday and if before noon, halfway between the hour hand and twelve is due south. If it is afternoon calculate the opposite way. For instance, If at 8 a.m. you point the hour hand to the Sunday 10 will point to the south, for that is halfway between 8 and 12. If at 2 p.m. you point the hour hand to the Sunday look back to 12, and half the distance will be at 1, therefore 1 points to the south. An easy way to get the direction of the sun without looking directly at it is by means of the shadow of a straight, slender stick or grass stem thrown on the horizontal face of your watch. Hold the stick upright with the lower end touching the watch at the point of the hour hand. Then turn the watch until the shadow of the stick falls along the hour hand. This will point the hand indeviatingly toward the Sunday mountain climbing. The campers should go together to climb the mountain. Never one girl alone. Before starting, find a strong stick to use as a staff. Stow away some luncheon in one of your pockets. See that your camera is in perfect order. Ready to use at a moment's notice. That your waterproof matchbox is in your pocket filled with safety matches. Your pocket knife safe with you. Also watch and compass, and that the tin cup is on your belt, your whistle being always hung around your neck will, of course, be there as usual, when you are ready, stand still and look about you once more to make sure of your bearings, close your eyes and tell yourself exactly what you have seen, after leaving camp and arriving at the foot of the mountain, take your bearings anew, then look up ahead and select a certain spot which you wish to reach on the upward trail. Having this definite object in view will help in making better progress and save your walking around in a circle, which is always the tendency when in a strange place and intervening trees or elevations obstruct the view, or when not sure of the way and trying to find it, begin blazing the trail at your first step up the mountainside.
even though there may be a trail already, you cannot be sure that it will continue, it is much safer to depend upon your own blazing, often in trailing along the mountain you will find huge rocks and steep depressions, or small lakes which you cannot cross over but must go around, and in so doing change your direction, perhaps strike off at an angle, before making the detour, search out some large landmark, readily recognized after reaching the other side of the obstruction, a tall, peculiarly shaped tree or other natural feature, now is the time to try earnestly to keep the landmark in sight as long as possible and to be able to recognize it when you see it again, watch your compass and the sun that you may continue in the right direction after circling the obstruction, go slow in climbing, take your time and don't get out of breath, on many mountains the possibility of unexpected fogs exists, and safety requires that the party be linked together with a soft rope, the same precaution should be taken when the trail is very rough, steep, and rocky. The camper at the head of the line should tie the rope in a bow line around her waist, with knot on left side, and eight or ten feet from her the next girl should link herself to the rope in the same manner, then another girl, and another, until the entire party is on the rope. The leader starts on the trail and the others, holding fast to their staffs, carefully follow each one cautious to keep the rope stretching out in front of her rather taut, then if one girl stumbles the others brace themselves and keep her from falling, when descending the mountain, be careful to get a firm footing, instead of facing the trail, it is safer to turn sideways, so that you can place the entire foot down and not risk the toes only, or the heels, often coming down either a steep hill or a mountain is more difficult than going up, Lost in the woods it is not at all probable that you will lose your way while on the trail, but if you should find yourself lost in the woods or in the open, the first thing you do is to remember that a brave girl does not get into a panic and so rob herself of judgment and the power to think clearly and act quickly, believe firmly that you are safe, then sit down quietly and think out a plan of finding your way, try to remember from which direction you have come and to recall landmarks, if you cannot do this. Do not be frightened and do not allow any thought of possible harm to get a foothold in your mind. If there is a hill near, from which you can see any distance, climb that and get an outlook. You may be able to see the smoke of your campfire, which, after all, cannot be so far away. You may find a landmark that you do remember. If you see nothing which you can recognize, make a signal flag of your handkerchief and put it up high, as high as you can. Your friends will be looking for that. Then give the lost signal, one long blast with your whistle, and after a short pause follow with two more blasts in quick succession. If you had no whistle shout, loud and long, then wait a while, keeping eyes and ears open to see and hear answering signals. If there is none, again shout the lost signal and continue the calls every little while for quite a time. Another call for help is the ascending smoke of three fires. This, of course, is for daylight. Build your fires some distance apart. 25 feet or more, that the smoke from each may be clearly seen alone, not mingled with the rest, aim to create smoke rather than flame, a slender column of smoke can be seen a long distance, therefore the fire need not be large, choose for your fires as clear a space and as high an elevation as can be found, and in the relief and excitement of rescue do not forget to extinguish every spark before leaving the ground, if you decide to keep moving, blaze your trail as you go so that it may be followed and also that you may know if you cross it again yourself. You can blaze the trail by breaking or bending small branches on trees and bushes, or by small strips torn from your handkerchief and tied conspicuously on twigs, 
If you are where there are no trees or undergrowth, build small piles of stones or little hills of earth at intervals to mark your trail. If night overtakes you, look for the North Star. That will help if you know at what point of the compass your camp lies. And if you remember whether your course in leaving camp was to the north, south, east, or west, you can calculate pretty accurately whether the camp is to the north, south, east, or west of you. In case the night must be spent where you are, go about making a shelter, prepare as comfortable a bed as possible, and do not be afraid, you will probably be found before morning, and you must be found in good physical condition. If you can kindle a fire, do it, that will help to guide your friends and will ward off wild creatures that might startle you. Keep your fire going all night and take care that it does not spread. It is better to remain quietly in one spot all night than to wander about in the dark and perhaps stumble upon dangerous places. If, when you find the points of the compass by the North Star, you mark them plainly on a stone or fallen log, they will be a ready guide for you as soon as daylight breaks. The last word on this subject is, do not be afraid. To find your way by the North Star at night you will have the same reliable guide that has ever been the mariner's friend. And if you do not know the star guide, lose no time in finding it. Polaris or Pole Star is known generally as North Star. And the star is most important to the outdoor girl. At all times the North Star marks the North. Its position never changes. And seeing that star and knowing it, you will always know the points of the compass. Face the North Star and you face the North. That your right hand is the east, that your left hand is the west, and that your back is the south. The North Star does not look very important because it is not very bright or very large. And were it not for the help of the Big Dipper, which everyone knows, the North Star would not be easy to find. The diagram given on page 37 shows the relative position of the stars and will help you to find the North Star. The two stars forming the front side of the bowl of the Great Dipper point almost in a direct line to the North Star which is the last one in the handle of the little dipper, or the tail of the little bear, which means the same thing. Chapter III Camping Campsites Water, Wood, Tents, Shelters, lean Fires, Cooking, Safety and Protection, Sanitation, Camp Spirit, Information whether your camp is to be for one day, one week, or a longer period of time. The first question to be decided is, where shall we go? If you know of no suitable spot, inquire of friends, and even if they have not personally enjoyed the delights of camping and sleeping in the open, one or more of them will probably know of some acquaintance who will be glad to give the information, write to the various newspapers, magazines, railroads, and outdoor societies for suggestions, the Geological Survey of the United States at Washington, D.C. will furnish maps giving location and extent of forests and waterways, also location and character of roads, you can obtain the maps for almost any part of every state. Most public automobile houses supply maps of any desired region. Send letters of inquiry to these sources of information, and in this way you will probably learn of many, just the right place, localities. Select a number of desirable addresses, investigate them, and make your own choice of location, remembering that the first three essentials for a camp are good ground, water, and wood. The rest is easy, for these three form the foundation for camping. Location wherever you go. Choose a dry spot, preferably in an open space near wooded land. Avoid hollows where the water will run into your shelters in wet weather. Let your camp be so located that in case of rain the water will drain down away from it. Remember this or you may find your camp afloat upon a temporary lake or swamp should a storm arise. 
water pure drinking water you must have, it is of vital importance, so be sure to pitch your camp within near walking distance of a good spring, a securely covered well, or other supply of pure water, Henry David Thoreau's method of obtaining clear water from a pond whose surface was covered with leaves, etc. was to push his pail, without dipping it in the least, straight down under the water until the top edge was below the surface several inches, then quickly lift it out, in doing this the overflow would carry off all the leaves and twigs, leaving the remaining water in the pail clear and good, but you must first be sure that the pond contains pure water under the floating debris, always be cautious about drinking water from rivers, streams, ponds, and lakes though they may appear ever so clear and tempting, for the purity is by no means assured, and to drink from these sources may cause serious illness, unless you are absolutely sure that water is free from impurities, boil it, then it will be safe to use for drinking and cooking, next in importance to good water is good firewood and woodsy material for shelters and beds, bear this in mind when deciding upon the site for your camp, companions because your companions can make or mar the happiness in camp, it is safer to have in your party only those girls who will take kindly to the camp spirit of friendly helpfulness, those always ready to laugh and treat discomforts as jokes, this means that though fun loving and full of buoyancy and life, each girl will willingly do her part and assume her share of responsibilities, safeguarding you should also count among your companions two or more camp directors possibly mothers of the girls, teachers, or older friends of whom the parents approve who will enter heartily into all phases of outdoor life and while really being one with you in sport and work, will at the same time keep careful oversight and assure protection. Avoid localities where there is a possibility of tramps or undesirable characters of any description, and do not wander from camp alone or unaccompanied by one of the directors. If your camp is in the forest it will be the part of wisdom to secure also a reliable guide who knows the forest ways. The start the day before you leave for your camping ground. Have everything in readiness that there may be no delay when it is time to go. Be prompt, for you want to play fair and not keep the other girls waiting, causing them to lose valuable time. The stimulating exhilaration which comes with trailing through the forests to camp. The keen delight of adventure. The charm of the wilderness. The freedom and wonder of living in the woods. All make for the health and happiness of the girl camper. And once experienced. Ever after with the advent of spring comes the call of the untrammeled life in the big outdoors. The one-day camp even a one-day camp fills the hours with more genuine lasting enjoyment than girls can find in other ways. There is a charm about it which clings in your memory, making a joy, later, of the mere thought and telling of the event, that every moment of the day may be filled full of enjoyment for all. Had a good program, some definite, well-thought-out plan of activities and sports previously prepared and if possible let every girl know beforehand just what she is to do when all arrive at camp, with an older person in charge, the party could be divided, according to its size, into different groups, and as soon as the grounds are reached the groups should begin the fun of preparing for the camp dinner, if the party consists of eight, two can gather firewood, to build the fireplace, to unpack the outfits, placing the provisions and cooking utensils in order conveniently near the fire, and who can bring the drinking water and cooking water. Provisions and cooking utensils should be divided into as many packs as there are campers, and every camper carry a pack. Count in the outfit for each one a tin cup, preferably with open handle for wearing over belt. In the one-day camp very few cooking utensils are needed, they may consist of two tin pails, one for drinking water, the other for boiling water, one coffee pot for cocoa, 
one frying pan for flapjacks or eggs, one large kitchen knife for general use, and one large spoon for stirring batter and cocoa. Camp dinner counting on a keen outdoor appetite for wholesome substantials. The provision list includes only plain fare, such as, lamb chops, or thinly sliced bacon packed in oil paper, dried cocoa to which sugar has been added, carried in can or stout paper bag, one can of condensed milk, and sweetened, to be diluted with water according to directions on can, butter in baking powder can, dried flour mixed with salt and baking powder in required proportions for flapjacks, packed in strong paper bag and carried in one of the tin pails, bread in loaf wrapped in wax paper, potatoes washed and dried ready to cook, packed in paper bag or carried in second tin pail, pepper and salt each sealed in separate marked envelopes, when needed, perforate paper with big pin and use envelopes as shakers, one egg for batter, buried in the flour to prevent breaking, and one small can of creamy maple sugar, soft enough to spread on hot cakes, or a can of ordinary maple syrup, the clean up while resting after dinner is the time for storytelling, then, before taking part in sports of any kind, every particle of debris, even small bits of eggshell and paper, should be gathered up and burned until not a vestige remains, to be, good sports, thought must be taken for the next comers and the camping ground left in perfect order, absolutely free from litter or debris of any kind, when breaking camp be sure to soak the fire with water again and again, it is criminal to leave any coals or even a spark of the fire smoldering, be positive that the fire is out, shelters and tents, lean to for a fixed camp of longer or shorter duration your home will be under the shelter of boughs, logs, or canvas. The home of green boughs is considered by many the ideal of camp shelters. This you can make for yourself. It is a simple little two-sided, slanting roof and back and open front shed, made of the material of the woods and generally known as a lean-do, sometimes as baker tent one of canvas. There are three ways of erecting the front framework. The first is to find two trees standing about seven feet apart with convenient branches down low enough to support the horizontal top cross pole when laid in the crow's nests. Lacking the proper trees, the second method is to get two strong, straight, forked poles of green wood and drive them down into the ground deep enough to make them stand firm and upright by themselves the required distance apart. The third way is to reinforce the uprights by shorter forked stakes driven firmly into the ground and braced against the uprights, but this is not often necessary. Having your uprights in place, extending above ground five feet or more, lay a top pole across fitting its ends into the forked tops of the uprights. Against this top pole rest five or six slender poles at regular distances apart, one end of each against the top pole and the other end on the ground slanting outward and backward sufficiently to give a good slope and allow sleeping space beneath. At right angles to the slanting poles, lay across them other poles, using the natural pegs or stumps left on the slanting poles by locked off branches, as braces to hold the cross poles in place figure 18. When building the frame be sure to place this landing pole so that the little stumps left on them will turn up and not down, that they may hold the cross poles. Try to have spaces between cross poles as regular as possible. A log may be rolled up against the ground ends of the landing poles to prevent their slipping, though this is rarely necessary, for they stand firm as a rule. You can cover the frame with bark and then thatch it, which will render the shelter better able to withstand a storm, or you may omit the bark. Using only the thatch as a covering, put on very thick. This should make the lean to a rainproof, with small tips of branches from trees, preferably balsam, hemlock, or other evergreens. Begin thatching your shelter, 
commence at the bottom of the lean-do, and look on the thatched branches closed together all the way across the lowest cross pole, using the stumps of these thatched branches as hooks to hold the thatching place on the cross pole figure 19. Overlap the lower thatches as you work along the next higher cross pole, like shingles on a house, and continue in this way, overlapping each succeeding cross pole with an upper row of thatch until the top is reached. Fill in the sides thick with branches, boughs, or even small, thick trees. The lean-do frame can be covered with your poncho in case of necessity, but boughs are much better. Permanent camp, lean-do, open camp. Another kind of lean-do intended for a permanent camp is in general use throughout the Adirondacks. It is built of substantial good-sized logs put together log cabin fashion, with open front, slanting roof, and low back figure 20. This shelter has usually a board floor raised a few inches above the ground and covered thick, at least a foot deep, with balsam, overspread with blankets. The soft floor forms a comfortable bed. A log across the front of the floor keeps the balsam in place and forms a seat for the campers in the evenings when gathered for a social time before the fire. The roof of the log leaned can be either of boards or well-thatched poles which had first been overlaid with bark. One of the most comfortable and delightful of real forest camps which I had ever been in was a permanent camp in the Adirondacks owned and run by one of the best of Adirondack guides. The camp consisted of several shelters and two big permanent fireplaces. Over the ground space for the large tent outlined with logs was a strong substantial rustic frame, built of material at hand in the forest and intended to last many seasons figure 21. The shelter boasted of two springy, woodsy beds made of slender logs laid crosswise and raised some inches from the ground. These slender logs slanted down slightly from head to foot of the bed, and the edges of the bed were built high enough to hold the deep thick filling of balsam tips, so generously deep as to do away with all consciousness of the underlying slender log founder. 